Welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution. Today, we're going to talk to one of the sharpest minds in digitalization, AckerBP's CDO, Paula Doyle. Today's topics will range from sustainability within the oil and gas industry and the importance of having a really clear vision when you want to make big changes to large corporations and their IT structure. We were thrilled when we got the chance to speak to Paula, and we hope that you will be too. Yeah, so my name is Paula Doyle. I'm the Chief Digital Officer at AkaBP. Uh, AkaBP is uh, Norway's second largest oil and gas company uh, operating on the Norwegian continental shelf. Um, and prior to joining AkaBP, which I did uh, this summer, I worked in a variety of companies around industry and industrial software. So that's Siemens and ABB, and then most recently uh, Cognite. And you have an academic background in this as well, don't you? I do. Uh, so I have uh, a Bachelor of Engineering in Computer Engineering, and then I took my PhD in um, Industrial Networks. So kind of how to be able to schedule messages in real time. That was kind of my my favorite nerd <laughs> topic, which is kind of back on the agenda now, you know, with the time sensitive networking. So um, really important that we know that when we're sending messages from the field that they're going to be uh, received and uh, replied to uh, with the, a deterministic latency so that you don't have uh, some actuator hanging on ready to be told what to do while uh, something is happening in the process. So there's there's a lot in the media about what's going on in terms of the energy and oil industry and there's a lot of change in that field. If we were to kind of step into some of the conferences that are, are going on, what are the topics that are on top of the agenda for leaders in this space? Well, if I if I look at it from an AkaBP um, perspective, um, so we're a pure play oil and gas company. So our aim is to really be best in class at producing oil and gas. So we're going after a strategy that's low cost and low carbon um, because we believe that that's what it will take to actually be a, a relevant player in the industry. Um, and so what we are looking at is really how, how to maximize um, efficiencies uh, while minimizing emissions. And I think this is a very worthwhile uh, mission. And it's something that's very close to my heart as well, because I really have seen kind of up close and personally how much waste there is in industry. And it's not just oil and gas industry, it's across the board. You know, a lot of our processes are incredibly uh, inefficient. It's a lot of time spent trying to analyze like data and insights from different sources, trying to pull that together, trying to share your insights with the next person. Um, so we're really kind of tackling this. So like trying to move to be as data centric as we can possibly be. Um, and our ambition is to actually be the first uh, data driven oil and gas company in the world. Paula, um, it's, a, it's a big topic that comes up a lot um, with oil companies around sustainability. Yeah. How do you look at um, working for an oil company and also being very passionate about sustainability? How do you think about that? So AkaBP, as we said, is a, a pure play oil and gas company. And I'm actually very proud to work for a company that is delivering much needed energy to the world. And that much needed energy is not just what like you and I need in our houses and what hospitals need uh, to keep ICUs going, but it's also the energy that's needed to power the energy transition. So if you think about what kind of energy it's going to take to build 
all of these wind farms, to build all of these solar farms, to build these kind of hydrogen plants, that is a ton of energy. And today, the reality is that the the solution to like cost effective, easily transported energy is oil and gas. So I have um, I don't I don't really have a dilemma in my mind about completely supporting the energy transition and the push for green energy while also uh, working for an oil and gas company who will deliver the energy to achieve it. And I think we've seen, obviously, um, through events of of the last years and of course most most notably this year, the impact of not having the energy supply to meet demand. You know, and I think for us in Europe, we are kind of on on the cusp of experiencing what a lot of people in the world experience. You know, we have been so fortunate with uh, being constantly able to meet our demand for energy and with price levels that are you know uh, acceptable. And now moving into a position where we are now with incredibly high energy prices, with uh, huge concerns over energy security and energy supply, especially going into the winter with thoughts of t- talks of rationing, with factories actually closing down because they, they're not competitive enough. In Norway, they're talking about not being able to produce um, tomatoes, for example, in greenhouses during the winter. You know, this is, uh, we are really stepping back. Um, and I think this, uh, for, at least for me, I would really like people to have the energy that they need to maintain the standards of living that we're used to and maintain the factories, uh, you know, and ke- keep kind of European kind of consumers and, and industry functioning. So, uh, yeah, while also, as I said, you know, building the equipment and the capital infrastructure that's needed to deliver on the energy transition. Because that is huge. So super exciting. But what you look at what needs to happen there, it's a massive, massive job that will require a lot of energy, a lot of competence, a lot of human capital. Okay. Um, so and when it comes to the oil and gas we're producing, our absolute aim is to do that as sustainably as possible. So we have a goal to be net zero by 2030 and to produce the oil and gas we produce with the the lowest emissions per barrel in the world. And we're on track for that. How would you go about achieving that reducing the emissions per barrel? Yeah, a lot of it is, well, there's ways that we do it in terms of um, electrifying part of our portfolio. So we're moving uh, a diesel uh, as a fuel offshore. And then the second, of course, is using things like AI and data to optimize our energy consumption. And so what does that look like trying to be, what's the state of play now uh, with kind of data driven? and? So we're, we're working on quite a number of our key work processes. Um, I can give you one example. So kind of planning a well. So this is typically a process that takes months because there's a lot of collaboration involved, a lot of iterations as well. And Uh, working with different functions but we have been working kind of with technology and process and people to take that uh, well planning time down for months to a day and that's just incredible yeah yeah so this is the kind of things that that we can do when we have that approach people process and technology Um, and I think other examples is we're looking at kind of end-to-end maintenance so maintenance cost is usually like a very large chunk of uh, the operating costs of almost any um, 
industrial process. So really working on how we can get those insights across that value chain so that we're constantly able to optimize in, in real time, because it's a lot of there's a lot of blind spots that the different departments have. Um, so it's it's really I think it's really interesting work. There's a lot of upside um, and we're really focused kind of on that trio as well. So this is not just a technology problem. It's also a ha- how we work um, and our approach to work problem. Yeah, you mentioned there the kind of big three that come together to make this happen, people, process, technology. Looking at AI and automation, how significant a role is that playing? Yeah, so I think if you look at like oil and gas, um, especially if you look at offshore uh, NCS or the Norwegian Continental Shelf, you typically have very highly automated assets. So, you know, like very... uh, strong like control and automation systems and safety systems Um, and what we're looking at now is really kind of the next level of automation so this would be the introduction of robotics and also kind of automation into the the software side as well so where we're able to uh, replace or complement human decision making and human processes with uh, with robotic automation uh, software and hardware and I think that's incredibly um, exciting because Humans are fantastic. There's lots of things that we're really, really good at. Um, but but things like, you know, you doing enormous amounts of number crunching um, being kind of uh, <laughs> st- stable in terms of our performance as well. Uh, these are things that the robots robots are better at. So I think it's really important that we're able to complement actually how our, our approach to our operations and get the most out of the humans and the most out of the robots. That's fantastic. I'm I'm really curious though because that's such a, a fascinating number. Like getting it down from one month, the planning process to to one Months. day. Yeah. Uh, was it one month or several? Several. Okay, so a factor. I don't know how 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 big, yeah. but is it mainly these robotic like RPA things, like getting the number crunching and moving numbers, or what? What? How do you approach a problem like that? It doesn't have to be that problem, but something yeah. like that. So it's really around, it's around breaking down the existing kind of work processes around it and kind of understanding um, what what data really needs to flow to be able to get there. Because it's a very, it's a very iterative process um, and it involves different disciplines. And I think this is one of the challenges that we have in, in the industry is that the disciplines are very, um, it's very deep. You know, you, you need to be a real expert in what you're doing to really contribute. And that, of course, means that the collaboration between disciplines can be challenging because it's very hard to really understand what the other person is talking about. Um, so what it, this what, what we've really done is really tr- broken down the process and kind of understood what data flows that we could enable and what kind of decision making that we could speed up in that process. And then it's really we've built... Um, kind of a space where people come together. So we have the humans in the room and then underneath we have all of the data uh, and analytics available in real time so that they can iterate decisions very quickly and work together and understand each other's positions. So it's super exciting, but it's um, it just kind of shows like how much upside there is in industrial processes. That's fabulous. It's, uh... If there's any any listeners who are in maybe a different industry who are kind of thinking, well, I'd like to reduce our planning processes by that much. Yeah. How do you, what how do you go f- achieve a, an initiative like that? Who's involved? What type of yeah. people, process, technology do you, do you involve? 
uh, so you, you so first of all you 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 really need these people who really understand the process and also have the right mindset i think that is just super important so if you have those people in your organization um, or not i think that's that's the first question because typically you can have one or the other you know you maybe have somebody who really understands the process but thinks well that's how we've always done it and that's okay you know whereas you actually need somebody who's who really sees like a vision um and will kind of like relentlessly pursue that and bring people with them um so i think that's that's actually that person is the main um person or persons uh, that you need i think you also need very strong uh, buy in through up up the organization because typically when you're embarking on something like this it's not it's not that you get into a room and 30 minutes later you pull out the perfect solution and then it's to go execute you know there's you'll make mistakes along the way you'll get stuck it will probably take longer than you think to get there as well so you really, really need to have grit and I think that's not just in the people who are executing the project, but also in the kind of the the executive support for the project as well. Um, because if you can if you can kind of grind through that, then I mean the outcomes are amazing, like the one I just shared. You know, so there there's a lot of potential there. But you need to have the vision, you need to have the right mindset, and you need to have the grit to get through the the challenges. And I think what also helps as well is having really good strategic partners on board um so who will kind of challenge your perspective and who will kind of work kind of hand in hand uh with you to kind of make this uh vision act- an actual reality brilliant polly you mentioned um some uh robotics that are being used in the industry i've seen some press releases uh with different robots crawling around rigs i think it was can you tell us a little bit more about how you're using physical robots yeah so i think the main um use case for us with robotics uh, right now is around inspection. Um, So back to what things robots are good at uh, that humans aren't, you know, just being very very, uh, precise, um, very good at doing repetitive uh, jobs. I think this is really, really the key. And of course, what I see, though, is uh, the trend for industrial robotics. So we're, we're nowhere near kind of where we will be at the end of this decade or even kind of in five years time. So I think some of the big advances that have been made in industrial robotics will really kind of hit us with the wave, you know, and obviously that's, you know, you and you've seen this as well, robots going from today where they're mostly deployed in the automotive industry, you know, and they're doing very simple tasks, you know, moving a piece from one basket to the next or painting like a panel of a car. Now you see these kind of robots from Boston Dynamics and others who are very dexterous. So they they can really uh, conduct themselves in a human-like environment. You know, they, 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 they're able to hold things, they're able to, to twist things, and they're much more aware. Um, of course, also, like, it helps that we've got massive advances as well in edge complete computing, so, like, the robot brain, and then also cloud, you know, which is, like, their collective brain as well. Um, and, of course, the cost of robotics is going down. So I think these three factors will will see an explosion of use cases of industrial robotics specifically. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. Actually, I think that's going to be very, very cool. <laughs> and it's also like it, it, it will, I'm firmly convinced it will happen in this decade for, for those reasons. What, what do you see as um, things that could potentially slow down that progress? For example, people issues or kind of, <laughs> what, how do you see those challenges? 
I think you pointed to it. The main one is is people. You know, we we don't like change. Really, we don't we don't like change. Um, and I think there's also biases that you have in industrial companies that we need to to overcome. You know, I think there's a very specifically, you know, and, and I'm an engineer, so I feel like I could say this, but um, engineers, we love to look at the problems. It's uh, very good at picking out uh, the problems. And I think that's a little bit of a, a bias that we need to overcome because there's always going to be problems, but we need to kind of get, get on with things. Um, I think also we have biases as well towards, you know, starting things, but maybe, you know, the excitement of a new initiative and new technology and being probably too technology focused uh, rather than that kind of trio of, you know, technology, people and process, because that's actually where the value is. But if we're just kind of talking about technology and different pieces of of, of software or, or hardware kit, then I think we actually lose um, the the kind of the point. And then, of course, the third then is also linked to that, you know, where it's really about business value. And this is something that can kind of quickly fall off the radar when you have kind of strong kind of technology and engineering companies. So I think these are some of the pitfalls actually that we are facing with kind of industrial value outtake um, from digital. But but we recognize them now. So it's uh, really for us, it's about uh, kind of working with that. How do you work with business value when there's a, a, an infrastructure project, such as like connecting different data sources or making data available? Uh, stuff that isn't, like, you can't really point to it and say, this will bring these many Nordic Norwegian crowns into the to the bank, but it will enable us to do robotics. It will enable us to do all these fabulous process automations that you're yeah. talking about. Uh, so, how do we do that? We just we do it. Uh, I think is the is the quick answer. But you because you need to have, like you say, there is a kind of a clean modern infrastructure that you put in place to really enable digital or data-driven operations and without that in place you will kind of you'll stop and you'll stall and you'll you'll continuously falter and you'll never be able to get at the value at scale and that's something that uh, in OCBP we recognized early um so we've always had a very strong belief in needing to have like a, a kind of a modern infrastructure that's going to enable kind of data-driven operations and, and we've been kind of relentlessly building that as well but of course, I think it's really important that we're focusing on the the value outtake from the, say, like the application side per se. Um, but while also looking at how we can reduce our infrastructure costs, kind of like our, our IT OPEX as well, with the assumption that having a, a cleaned up architecture where we don't have massive kind of spaghetti um, integrations um, and also kind of supporting a lot of legacy systems, that that is ultimately going to pay off. So would you say that it's mainly a leadership question to to have that vision of yes. yeah yes i would absolutely okay cool absolutely. and i think that can be a challenge uh for industrial companies when the leadership is not is not bought into it um and i think i i it kind of surprises me you know in 2022 that after living through the decade that we have lived through, 
you know, where we have seen, where our lives have been completely disrupted by technology, where electric vehicles are like, you know, I mean, in Norway, they, they have the vast majority of the market share. And we're seeing that, like we saw that exponential growth, even in the US, for example, they don't have the majority of the market share, but where they started in 2010 to where they ended in 2019, it's completely transformed. Same with, uh, you know, what Elon Musk has done with SpaceX. You've seen these very large uh, capital intensive, high barrier to ent- entry industries being completely transformed. And if people think that that's not going to happen to the rest of industry, then they're, they're sorely mistaken. So I think for leadership to get on board with this kind of transformative time that we're in and to understand what that means for their business and to kind of deep dive a little bit into what that will take in terms of these kind of like enabling uh, investments. I think that's that's really important. If you are an employee at a company that handles a lot of data, but in your mind poorly, uh, if you're a data scientist or an engineer and you want to highlight the need for um, just doing the basics and 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 fixing up infrastructure. Uh, do you have any advice for, for, for people like that? Um, I do. I think a lot of some of the challenges that we have in industrial companies is the fact that people think that technology alone will sell it. And basically what you're what you're asking, Jacob, is how do you sell the vision to somebody? And if you just go in talking about like technology and infrastructure, you won't you won't sell the vision. So if you want to get people on board with the need to clean up your infrastructure, the need to get your data in place, then you should probably start by sharing examples of what companies who have done this have achieved. So focus on what would be the outcome of it and what will happen and what will happen if you don't do it. And you need to tell that story in a way that people will actually understand it. I think we're typically not good at telling stories to get people kind of over to our side of the page, because there is a bit of a a chasm to cross. And if you spend your day in, day out, 24 seven, like eating, breathing, living data and the challenges of your challenging infrastructure, you just assume that everybody else gets it, but they don't, they don't. So you need to really uh, think about how to pitch uh, your problem and the opportunity that's there for the company if they solve it. Thank you for listening to Designing the Robot Revolution. Before we continue, I just have one thing to ask from you. If you like this show, please share it with someone that you think would really like it. Thank you. When researching this episode, we saw some really interesting stuff about digital twins. We wanted to know what Paula's position on that is now and how she thinks they can help. What do we have to do to unlock their value? Now back to our conversation with Paula. I think digital twins and AI go in like on the same shelf in my brain in terms of like hype <laughs> and uh, maybe like sales hype, to be perfectly frank. Um, I think we'll, for for us, though, uh, our what we have as a digital twin is basically it's, it's basically uh, kind of an evergreen data layer. So it's has flexible data models in place so that we're able to kind of model against our different processes. And it has kind of very kind of strict um, governance around the data so that the people who use the data know they can trust the data for the job that they need to do. Um, and that for us is our, it's it's basically our digital, digital twin. Um, and that 
powers our kind of digital operating model. Um, and I, but I think the challenge with digital twins is that it's just a bit of an overused term and it means lots of different things to, to lots of different people. Um, but for us, it's basically connecting all of the necessary data uh, in one place, combining it together, uh, putting it in domain models and then making it consumable for machines and humans and whatever applications need to consume it so that we can drive the efficiencies that, we, uh, that we're talking about. Are there any process automations you could tell us about that are based upon that data layer? There's tons of them, uh, to be to be perfectly honest. And it's a lot of this kind of process automation or getting out the inefficiencies from the current processes is really where we're pointing the digital twins at. So it's we have a lot in maintenance, um, a lot around barrier management, a lot around um, moving from calendar-based maintenance into prescriptive uh, maintenance. That saves a lot, a lot of cost, you know, because if you think about how a lot of maintenance is done in industry today, it's, you know, it's basically you do this every four weeks or you do it every six weeks, regardless of what's happened. Whereas you want to move into a situation where you can say, look, I can see this performance of this specific piece of equipment is indicating it needs maintenance or, you know, it's been turned kind of like on and off a hundred times between from the last time you checked it. So it's time to check it. Um, so kind of moving from dumb to smart. So I think that's just two kind of very easy um, examples, but it is all around this, like try to automate the processes, try to make the processes as efficient as possible and to try to have data flow between the process steps uh, rather than documents or emails flowing between the process steps because that is a a lot of manual effort and b quite slow there's so much potential there isn't there so there is so much and that's why i am so excited about what we're doing because you're you're right there's so much potential and you can imagine i mean if you can think about the hours people spend even just trying to find data and also like sending data to other people if we could quit all those hours away imagine what those people would do with their brains for those hours it would be incredible so we've touched a lot here on the kind of potential the excitement for automation and ai and being data driven what what worries you paula about automation and ai are there things that kind of cause you concern i think to be honest if my overwhelming feeling towards it, it's more, it's more excitement than fear. Um, so when I look at things, you know, I think in my industry is one thing, you know, what we can do there in terms of kind of bringing low cost, sustainable oil and gas to the market, uh, that I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, and also the impact of that on the energy transition, as I said. Uh, but also if you look at other industries like healthcare, for example, I'm really excited about what's happening there, both with AI and uh, and robotics. And, and I think that that's something that's really going to touch all of us, you know. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I, th I think that's hugely important, actually, for us, uh, for the human race, that we can kind of make these advances. I think, obviously, what worries me would be the kind of typical things that that worries everyone, which is kind of AI for, <laughs> for bad purposes. Um, but that goes for every technology, to be perfectly honest. So I think it's just that we have to be quite careful uh, and clever when it comes to how we're how we're using it and being sure that we're aware of how others could use it for nefarious um, 
purposes as well. I mean, that's the same as we saw, you know, for example, with social media, right? You know, mm. so I think with with any kind of new new technology, there's always this this challenge. But for me, the benefits of it, I, I think far outweigh the the potential downsides. I'm not too worried about like a Terminator scenario, if that's what you're getting at, David. <laughs> Uh, to, to kind of reach the full potential as a as a company or and as an individuals, what characteristics do you think companies need and individuals need to have in order to make this a success and succeed in the robot revolution? Yeah, I think it's really. Um, I, I think the most important thing, to be quite honest, is a change mindset. So, and I mean, look at what we have gone through in the last years. You, you know global pandemic you know supply chains crunch our whole lives been turned upside down i don't think that's a one off i'm not talking about the pandemic i mean more the volatility and the uncertainty that we have to live with i i think that there will be more of this obviously you know as we said like energy crisis you know climate crisis there's a there's a lot of big things in the mix here that is going to be part of our lives going forward so being able to adapt to change and understanding that the status quo will not remain the status quo, I think is probably one of the most important things for us as people and also as industries. It's also something that I really try to teach my kids because I think that adaptability and resilience are probably like two of the most important things that we need to have like with us uh, going forward through the next decades. When you look at being a leader, whether it's in the family or of a business like you are, how do you foster that change mindset in in a group of people? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is you have you have to walk the walk. Um, so it's so there's definitely like there's definitely tools you can do and and training you can do, but I think a lot of people, um, it's better to show by example, actually. So to experience what that means, to share like when when you have failed, for example, to to show that you also can, you know, give up bits and pieces of what could have been like thought of as yours to move forward. And I think this is really it's a really important thing to actually really walk the walk because it's so easy to say it right like and and I don't think that really has impact so showing showing you mean it um and also kind of shining a spotlight on those behaviors that are enforcing um a change mindset and and really kind of being um kind of demanding on the people around you to to, to embrace it because I think standing still is just not an option for us right now looking at the oil and gas industry if we were to be able to travel into the future and see where we are in five years time and then 20 years time, what do you see the difference being of where we could be in 20 years time as opposed to five years time? What are going to be the big changes? So I think in in five years time, uh, we will be producing a, more, a lot more sustainably than we are today um, and more efficiently. So I think in terms of in terms of where we can get in five years, I think it's it's quite a lot. At least for us, we will have one of our uh, largest greenfield projects ever coming on stream then, which is a fully digital operating model. I'm very, very excited about that. And actually, that's going to be the first time that we take a, a greenfield project where we have the physical asset, obviously. So, you know, the steel, the steel and the pipes and all of the process, as well as 
a digital asset. So that's the expectations we have is that we will get the physical one and the digital one. So that's uh, for me, that's extremely exciting. 20 years out. So you're talking about 2042. That is so far out, David. I mean, if you, <laughs> you know, I think and I think the world is so kind of volatile and uncertain. What I do know is that a strategy going for low cost, low carbon is the right one um for our company and i think also for the industry generally um but what it looks like in in 20 years time i don't know 